Good morning, I'm Chad Vincent, the community group pastor. I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Um, as I get started, a little bit about me. I'm from a small town, and the saying is, you can take the, the boy out of the small town, but you can't take the small town out of the boy, right? And so uh, with that being said, uh, being from a small town, I was reminded, my boys and I, they found some old home tapes of me back when I was probably 13 and 14. And um, I know I date myself here, but it's like VCR type deals, right? And so we, I found an old VCR we put in, and they just told a couple of words I was articulating, and they said, Dad, you country. <laughs> I said, no doubt about that. So let's get started. If there's a word you can't understand this morning, it's because I'm country. <laughs> I try to hide it, but at the, at, the, at the core of me, who I am, I'm just a good old country boy. And so with that being said, too, it's funny because thinking about being country, the only genre of music that we listened to growing up was country. Was country. So it's, it's hilarious that I'm 30 minutes away from the country mecca of the world, meaning Nashville. If my mom listened to one country artist over and over again, I can tell you who it was. Kenny Rogers. I've only seen you for you. But you'll, you'll find out where I'm going here. Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton. Lady with Lionel Richie. Oh, man, that brings back all kinds of childhood memories. But one song today that's pertinent to our message, pertains to our message, is this song right here. It's called The Gambler. And old Kenny said, you've got to know when to hold them. You've got to know when to fold them. You've got to know when to walk away. And you got to know when to run. See, growing up, I thought Kenny was singing about a card game. Well, as I got older, well, I learned old Kenny was singing about this thing called life and this thing called relationships. See, you're here this morning like me because you've seen redemptive relationships work, correct? You've seen relationships where you've been supported, you've been encouraged, you've been stood up for, you've been defended, and you've been healed, Correct? But you've also seen relationships that don't quite work out like that. You've been abandoned, you've been hurt, you've been disappointed, and you've been let down. And so the question this morning I have for you is how do we play the relational cards we have been dealt? Because this morning we've all been dealt cards. Every one of us has. So how do we play the hand we've been dealt? In Kenny's words, how do we know when to hold them? How do we know when to fold them? How do we know when to walk away? And how do we know when to run? That's the question. So I set that up for this morning. I want to remind you where we've been in our summer series. We've been in the way of wisdom, correct? We've been talking about how to, how to handle speech wisely, how to handle money wisely, how to handle work wisely, how to handle self-control wisely. So we're seeing this contrast, the way of the world and the way of wisdom. And our guide through the study has been Solomon. Well, why did Solomon get this, this uh, privilege to write this book on Proverbs? Well, he got this privilege because God appeared to him in a dream, and God said, basically, hey, Solomon, if I can give you anything, what would you like? And Solomon thought, and he said what? A discerning mind. And so what Solomon wanted more than anything was wisdom. He wanted to know what to do. He wanted to know when to hold them. He wanted to know when to fold them. 
He wants to know when to walk away, and he wants to know when to run. And we're asking the same question today that Solomon thankfully answers for us. So this morning, if you're with me, turn to Proverbs chapter 18, and we'll get started with how do we handle the cars we've been dealt relationally. The first way we handle it is the way of the world. I look around, and I can tell we're not green. We're not naive. We've been through some things, correct? And so the first thing, the way of the world handles relationship is one word. It's called toxic. And toxic can be a buzzword, so I want to unpack what toxic means for you. What toxic means, it means impaired. It means disordered. There's something disoriented. It means it's not as it was created to function. That's what toxic means. And so what Solomon does in Proverbs 18.1, he tells us, hey, if we're talking about toxic relationships, the way of the world relationships, I want to show you three characteristics of toxic relationships. So it's very clear. It's very straightforward. So the first thing he goes into, and I'll read the text for you. Verse 1, whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desires, he breaks against all sound judgment. Did you catch the three things? I'll repeat it for you. Whoever isolates himself, seeks his own desires, breaks out against all sound judgment. Number one, the first character he talks about is isolation. So in isolation, there's a fear to be what? To be known. And so then in isolation, I withdraw. I move away. I close off. I don't do what? Play the cards I've been dealt. I become the gambler. I hide my hand. You follow me? That's isolation. But see, Solomon goes a little bit deeper because isolation isn't just an act. Isolation is a mindset. And that's why we can hide by ourselves, but we can also hide in a room full of people. Am I the only one that's done that? In a room full of people, they can still not truly know me because I can hide behind my what? My competency, my performance, what I'm good at. And it keeps people at bay. And so the mindset we're talking about, when you're dealing with mindset, see, it's not just you're introverted. It's not just you're extroverted. extroverted. It's not just that people are proximately close to you. It's a mindset. And when we're isolated, we're believing two lies. We're autonomous, meaning we're independent. We can do what we want to do, when we want to do it, where we want to do it, and how we want to do it. And ain't nobody telling me, what to do? Y'all been there? That's autonomy. Then the other lie we're believing is self-sufficiency. I have all within me to do what I want to do. That's self-sufficient. I'm not limited at all. I've got everything I need to get what I want to get when I want to get it. And that's self-sufficiency. And so when we're believing these lies, you see what happens to us? We're in a constant state of thinking in our mind, we're superior. And so you've heard the statement, I've said the statement, 
I'm not proud I said the statement, but I said the statement. If it wasn't for the people in the world, I'd be just fine. And I said it being sarcastic, and I said it joking, but there's always a grain of truth to that statement, isn't it? See, we're really at our core. We naturally believe that. So then he says, that's isolation. Superior thinking. Somehow, I'm just a little bit better than you. Then he goes down and says, seeks his own desires. Point number two. Now what happens, the characters he mentioned this now we do, is we seek our own desires. Think back with me in the garden. After the garden, Cain and Abel. Lord comes to Cain and says what? Sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for who? For you. Its desire is for you. It's out to, it's out to get you. Think about the book of James. Why are there quarrels and conflicts among us? Because you know why? We have what? Desires. That's what's causing the conflict and the quarrels is we have desires. We have things that we what? Want. We want them. We deserve them. We need them. And we're going to do what? Get them. See, that's country. Get them. See, I told you that's country. We're going to get them. <laughs> My wife has cultured me over the years. I'm going to get them, attain them, achieve them, <laughs> grasp them. I just say, get it. And that's what he says. He says, that's where Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. And so these desires go to one thing. We don't talk a lot about it today, but it goes to idols, and idols go to identity. And I'll give you the three C's that kill me and probably kill you. Control, comparison, and compete. See, control says a longing to have it my way. Comparison says, I'm always in a state of a longing to do what? To measure up. To measure up. Compete says, I'm always in a state of longing to do what? Be what? Be the best. And if one thing was ingrained in me growing up as a coach's son, it was the third C. To compete. To be the best. To go get it. Second place is what? The first loser. And so this thinking always leads us in a state of what? Hiding. So the third point, you with me so far? Isolation seeks desires. The next one he says right there in verse 18, he breaks against all sound judgment. The last characteristic, he breaks against all sound judgment. This word breaks can be interpreted as fights, quarrels, argues. See, it's not just simply as, I don't want to hear what you're saying when I'm breaking against sound judgment. 
That could be true. But it's deeper in that. It's when someone tells me something that doesn't line up to what I think, then I naturally relationally get what? You've seen it. Get what? Defensive. Yeah, we've been there. Because it doesn't line up to I want to think. See, I want to articulate something, and then I'm okay with you talking to me as long as you talk to me back what I'm thinking. But as soon as it becomes something I'm not thinking, now my echo chamber is broken up. Because the only voice I hear is myself. And my best thinking has got me where? Where I am. And so I'm now in an echo chamber, and all I hear is my own thoughts. And that's why Solomon says, the way of a fool is right in his own what? In his own eyes. There you go. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But thank God this morning, there's another way. So the way of the world, you have been so far this morning, the way of the world says what? Isolate. The way of the world says what? Seek your own desires. The way of the world says what? Argue against sound judgment. Do what you want to do. Listen to the own voice in your what? In your head. But thankfully, there's another way. There's a way of wisdom. And as we begin to set this way of wisdom up, let me tell you something about our God. You probably already know, but I just want to remind you about this. Our God is relational, and he values relationships. And then you ask the question to me, how do you know that? Because in the garden, what did he say? Let us make who? Man. Let us. So he, he, he resides in what's called the Godhead. He resides in the Trinity. He resides in the relational God. That's who he is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's what? Harmony and there's unity in the relationship. That's who God is by his natural design. And then he says, after he creates everything, one thing in the garden wasn't good, and what was that? Man was left alone. It is not good for man to be what? Alone. So now he values what? Relationships. He is relational, and he values relationships, so therefore the way of wisdom means what? There's got to be safety in relationships. There has to be somewhere where I step into where I feel what? Protected. Where I feel defended. Where I feel healthy. Because that's how God originally designed me, correct? That's how I was created to be. So when safe relationships happen, they provide protection. They provide defense. They provide health. And I begin to do the greatest thing I've ever done. I begin to do what? Change for the better. And that's extremely encouraging. And as we look at Proverbs, don't miss it. It's easy to look at Proverbs and see all these little statements and miss what he's driving at, what he's pointing to. And the whole time he's talking about safety, he's talking about wisdom. It's the personification of who? Jesus. Jesus. That's who he's pointing to the whole time. And so as he lines this up and says, let me give you safety. Let me give you relationships. He goes, number one, let me show you how to benefit from it. So he goes to Proverbs 27, 17. 
as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens what? Another. So now in this relationship, we're always focused on the horizontal. That's good and okay, but we're missing what? The vertical a lot of times. Now it's a mutual respect and benefit. I'm benefiting from you and you're benefiting from me and we're doing this great dance in harmony and unity. And we're sharpening each other by what? Our words, our life, being together. So now, now in safety, I feel like I'm established and I'm protected. See, even if something happens here, see where it's pointing to? I'm safe where? safe with Jesus. And so when he talks about these Proverbs, make sure you don't miss the main character, the gospel. It's always going back to the gospel, the fundamental truths. So he starts off very simple and says the first characteristic of safe relationship is what? A friend loves at all what? Times. A friend loves at all times. If you're like me, we have to clarify definitions because love has been so what? Distorted. So how do we know what love is? We know what love is by looking at who? Jesus. This is how we know love. That Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, we lay down our lives for our brothers. So love at the foundational level, the source is found in God, and so therefore it's what? Sacrificial. So now I'm coming to this relationship not needing you to complete me. That's the movie line, by the way. You complete me. Not needing, but I'm already full, and I'm coming to a relationship going to do what? Give! That's healthy because I know at the fundamental level how much I'm loved. And if one thing Satan attacks me the most in is this area right here since I came to Christ, you're not really loved. It's hard to grasp this because the love here in my life at least has always been performance-based, always. It's hardly ever been relationally based. And then once he loves me, man, I'll run through the wall for him. He'll get everything I got. He'll get more than I got because I know he loves me. And when I know that he loves me, oh, country saying, it's Katie bar the door. That's country, okay? That means it's on. That's what happens, and it's beautiful, and that's love, my friend, because God said he first did what? Loved us, and now I begin to pour out and love other people in a giving manner because I know for the first time how much I'm loved, but if you're like me, I remind myself of that every second of every day because I get in a bad headspace. And I start basing my love on how I'm performing. And many days, I'll be honest, I perform poorly. And I'm my worst critic. 
that's how we begin to now move out and walk it out. So this type of love, remember, it loves a brother in adversity. So now what happens is when I'm a mess, you're a mess, or you're in a good spot, I'm in a good spot, what happens is we walk through sorrow together. And it's there when things are bad. And it stays when things get hard. And it endures when we want to quit. And it picks us up when we do what? Fail. And it heals us when we've been hurt. That's biblical love. That's the way Jesus loves us. That's the way we're called to do what? Love others. As iron sharpens iron, as a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. See the first way of wisdom? We have to know that Jesus truly loves us. God loves us. He's proud of us. He's pleased with us. And that makes us perform well. The next characteristic of safe relationship is the person listens even when it is hard. And I could work at Fellowship Bible Church for free. Don't tell the elders that. I could work it free at Fellowship Bible Church if I had a penny for every time somebody in my life told me, listen, listen. My mom used to tell me all the time, you're so stubborn, son. Just listen to me. God gave you two ears for a reason. Listen. And then you get married, for those who are married, (laughs) when the honeymoon's over. And your wife tells you, I tried to tell you, you wouldn't do what? Husbands, listen to me. You're not there yet, bro. Hang in there. <laughs> listen to me. It's so hard because when I'm trying to listen to you, man, I get so distracted. And I'm trying to lock in, but I get so, I get so moving and shaking. And social media starts buzzing around. And I got to get the phone. I got to get things done. And so you're talking, but I ain't hearing the words you're saying. I ain't hearing nothing you're saying. Because my mind is moving. I'm distracted. It's just true. It is. And so my wife will grab my face and say, listen to me. Yes, ma'am. Listen. The Proverbs constantly show us the benefit of listening. We gain understanding. We become intelligent. We become wise. We have victory. It puts us on a good path, a good path. But it does something even greater than that. It makes us self-aware. It shows us our need. It shows our blind spots. See, this morning, what's so awkward about teaching and preaching is I can't step out of my body and see myself. But you can see me. And offer all kinds of feedback, correct and, and wrong. <laughs> but I can't step out of myself to see how I'm being what? Interpreted. Like, Jazz, smile more. <laughs> Quit yelling. Calm down. I can't step out of myself and see how I'm being interpreted, but I know my heart is saying passion, excitement, but my my 
my, my body might say, I'm mad, but I'm not mad. But it could be interpreted as mad, can't it? Angry. No. But it's, 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 it's the volume, is right? And so that's what helps us to be self-aware. So now I know how I'm what? Coming across. And so when he says in the Proverbs, you with me? He says what? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And you're here this morning because guess what happened to you? A friend wounded you. And that's a good thing. Because you know what that friend did? He or she corrected you because you were thinking wrong, right? You were thinking wrong, and you told them, and they said, oh, I don't know about that. And then you were doing wrong, and they saw you, and they did what? They gave us called a rebuke, a warning, right? So if you keep doing that, here's what's going to go, and I care enough for you to do what? Step in and say, stop. Stop. See, that's correction and rebuke. It's funny when you preach things. That's why I don't like preaching too much. Because you preach too much, you get examples of that in your life, personally. <laughs> and it's always too convicting for me. So I love to eat lunch. And I love to eat lunch out. My wife knows it. My kids know it. My friends know it. So I'm McAllister the other day with my buddy. Okay? And I'm telling him, I won't give you details, but I'm telling him what I'm thinking. And he looks at me, locked in. He's there. And I'm feeling good, man. You ever tell somebody you think you're feeling good? You think, oh, man, I'm feeling justified. I'm rationalizing everything. But I, I'm rationalizing. I'm justifying it. I'm even probably manipulating it. But I don't even know it. Then right there, bam, he says something. He corrected my thought because my thoughts were leading to terrible action and he cared enough and then I'm emotional I'm a feeler I know it shocks you <laughs> I started crying because he started crying he said if you keep doing this I'm 65 here's where you end up and I listened to the hard thing there's a mic drop and the lady came by and said honey do you want some more sweet tea I said, I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> because that's what begins to happen. Now, Jesus is perfect. So don't let this illustration get you kind of, I don't want to be a heretic on the stage. But what happened with Jesus was he listened to his father in prayer. And there's a lot of attention made to the crucifixion and the resurrection, and rightly so. But man, have you read Jesus in the garden? My father, if possible, would you let this cup, not that cup, but this cup, this cup of suffering, <laughs> this cup where I got to lay it down, this cup where I don't really know it, let it pass from me. And the father tells him what? I'm going to let it stay. Nah. I'm going to let it stay. Paul cries out to God numerous times, take this thorn of the flesh away. And God says, nah, it's going to stay. It's going to stay. I'm not taking it away. It's going to stay. Because when someone generally does that, they, they have something better in mind that we can see. 
I'm limited. I can't see it. So I'm going to let it stay. You're going to go to the cross. And you're going to do something that's going to be pivotal. Climax of human history. You're going to set the children I love free. What's going to cost you something? And he listened. And he did it. Maybe that's why James says later on, be slow to what? And quick to listen. The last one. You see we're going so far? The way of wisdom. It's love. Listen when it's hard to the correction and the rebuke when someone's doing it from a place of what? Love. And that's always God's heart. That's always Jesus' heart. It's a place of love. And then the next one he says is, let it go. I don't have girls, but not be confused with, let it go, let it go. Frozen. I don't have girls, but I, I, stay, up with, I stay up with pop culture. So he says this morning, because here's what happens on a serious note. You sit here this morning like me, and you had expectations. And I've had them too. Of how things were going to go, and it just didn't go like it was going to go. We've been through some things, haven't we? Hurt, disappointment, betrayal. I look back at my life, I mean, even just, just recently think about, man, there's some good friends that I've had that I don't talk much to anymore because something small got in the way and we couldn't work through it. And we grew up together. And it hurts. And so then the question is, how do we handle that? When someone leaves us, someone hurts us, doesn't meet our expectations and our expectations are down and we, uh, we thought we were safe and protected and defended and the carpet got pulled out from under us and now it's gone. So, um, Proverbs 19.11, you see what he says? It's good sense makes one slow to anger. So when those things happen, we can't do what we want to do is react. We can't react. Because when we react, we're going to do a couple things. We're going to let the resentment and bitterness, and I'm a feeler, and so I know it will surprise you, but I feel things. It's kind of maybe, maybe ladies will understand this. <laughs> and the guys are like, what in the world? I feel things right here. Tightness. Feel it deeply. When I find out somebody's talking about me, I ain't no talking about me. I just feel like right, right then, and I feel like it's right here in the gut. Just, mm. and I literally just have to do this, and nobody punched me. I just can't breathe. You follow me? Slow down. Relax. That's what he's saying. Because right then we get what? We get angry. They want to start doing what? Defending ourselves. And that's, excuse my language, you're not supposed to say this in the pulpit, I understand that, but we got to just shut up. Just shut up. Because look what he says next. This is like, this blew my mind as I studied this, because I didn't know this, by the way. And it is his glory 
Now, what that word glory means is honor, respect, and greatness. See, what you're doing when you handle when someone does something to you that's hurtful and disappointment, and you, you're allowing God to show his greatness, to show his glory, because the world doesn't operate like that. When you've been done wrong and you're willing just to sit there and take it, and you're willing to sit there and go, okay. See, you're allowing something that God supernaturally does. And you're showing, man, his glory looks really good. And that person's probably looking at you going, why are you not responding like that? See, you're drawing them in to the Father. And then check out what he says next. It is his glory to overlook an offense. It's his glory to overlook an offense. Doesn't mean it isn't hurt. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean it's not disappointing. Doesn't mean you don't feel things over it. But you don't allow, number one, for it to do what? I'm going to get revenge. Or I'm going to hold on to resentment. And I'm going to be a volcano and let it swell. And that's why years later when somebody tells you something, they go historical on you. You go, that was 20 years ago. They've been holding on for 20, 30, 40 years. And one day they're going to erupt on you. And you're going to be like, where did that come from? Our revenge, what happens where I'm from, they always stay a mile ahead of you. And they're going to get you at some point. And you're always living your life on a what? A swivel. Wondering what's coming next. So again, we go to Peter, don't we? And Peter says, Lord, how often will a brother sin against me and I forgive him? And Peter goes, as many as seven, right? That's good, right? Because, you know, seven's a biblical number. Seven's the number of completion. Peter knew, Peter knew what's going on. That's a biblical number. Biblical creation, seven. I'm good with that number, right? Seven. Biblical, good, seven days, seven. And Jesus goes, nah, you've got to forgive them 70 times. Because that's what I did for you. I forgave. You have no right to hold against somebody. Now, let me say in context, I wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. So I apologize to read it. I actually want to forget it because I would forget it. When they talk about overlooking offense, it's not to be confused with submitting to abusive authority. People who are abusive to you, physically, verbally, sexually are morally or ethical unacceptable circumstances. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spouse constantly fault-finding, a boss's, what you think, unfair criticism, a stranger's rudeness, the person who gossips about you, the dad who left you, the mom who manipulates you, the person who took advantage of you, and the person who lied to you. Those things are I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the other category. 
just to be clear this morning. So remember the question this morning? How are we going to handle the cards being dealt? Because the reality is we've all been dealt cards, haven't we? And now we got to know how we're going to handle it. And we've only got two options, the way of the world and the way of wisdom. And so how are you going to handle the relational cards you've been dealt? See, the gambler thought, he looked at the guy on the train, and he said, I can tell you're out of aces. It's a mindset. Pull out the cards and say, you know what? I'm not out of aces because God fights for me. He's for me. God never leave me nor forsake me. God is with me. And I know God. I know who he is. He loves me. I'm never out of aces. Play that ace card all day long. Because the gambler told you a lie. You're not out of aces, baby. Amen? So as we conclude, I'd ask you to, to do this for us. So what? As Jobby comes up. I'm a visual person. I don't make it awkward for you. But what I would ask you to do, if you can, I would ask you to stand up. If you can't, you don't have to. And as you stand up, I ask you to do a couple things. Even if you sit down, it's fine. What I want you to do in the so what is I want you just to lean over next to the person here. You can do a fist bump or you can grab their hand. If it's your wife and your husband, you better hold a hand. If you don't know them, you better give them a fist bump. Because that's awkward. Hold somebody's hand, you don't know. All right? And I want you to do that because what I, want to, what I want to show you is a picture. So what is as God has our backs, we got each other's backs at Fellowship Bible Church. So I want you to think about this week. How can you have this community's back, these brothers and sisters' back, as God has your back? Amen? Think about it as we go to so what, Jonathan? So true, Lord, that, that we're not meant to go it alone. So thank you for that reminder. That's not your intent. That's not your desire. That's not your design. Sometimes we go there. 
Sometimes we're deceived or we deceive ourselves and we try to go it alone. For some of us, that's because of a tremendous amount of hurt. Because we've experienced toxicity in some of the most important relationships in our lives, people that we've known and trusted. Maybe we've been that toxic person. So I pray for healing where there's been hurt. I pray only in your name that there might be restoration and reconciliation where it's possible, that we might do our part to live at peace, that we might offer what we have received. So I pray for that kind of healing. So that there be, be that kind of safety in our homes and in your church. God, I pray for the courage to set appropriate boundaries, not to hurt others, but to protect ourselves from entering in and enabling those kinds of toxic relationships. So we thank you for your wisdom. And again, as we've experienced in every one of the sermons this summer, God, we're desperate for it. We need it. And I'm so grateful that we can ask for it and that you freely give it. So give us wisdom to counteract the pursuits and the fears and the desires of the flesh and of the world and of the devil. Thank you for Chad this morning. Thank you for taking your word and using it to sharpen us and to shape us. Thank you that he shared more than your word, that he shared his life. And that's what it means to enter into relationship in a community. May we be all about that. Not just to, to say that you know, together is better, but really to live it out. It's more than a slogan on a wall or in our website, but it's, it's who we are. Together in you, Jesus. Together with one another. In hope and in glory. May it be true in your name and for your name's sake. Amen. Amen.